Oh, 2020, what a year it's been. I think what triathlon has taught me is just to be myself. There's something about being the one who knows where you're going that is really empowering. So much of women's rights are tied up with women's sports. I was 54. I had a kidney transplant. If I can do it, surely you can do it. Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Chura, and I am joined by the newly finalist nominee for Athlete of the Year at the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Awards, my co-host, Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, how does it feel to be a finalist? I mean... So my initial response was to kind of joke about it, but I'm not going to do that because Haley, it actually feels really good. I mean, it's super cool to be among really good company for that athlete of the year. I wanted to joke about it because athlete of the year, initially, I think people think like um, athletic performance, which is a little bit funny in a year of a global pandemic where most people didn't really race at all. I did sneak in that one race in New Zealand, but that's not actually what they based the nomination for this award on because the award is for an athlete who uses her, you know, platform to advocate for better in sport and for women in sport and things like that. And so I, you know, I, I think maybe the nomination came from some of the fundraising that I did for the Payton Institute this summer while I was getting ready to um, run my FKT in the Adirondacks. And that, that was like a, you know, something different for me and it was kind of just a you know a a new adventure kind of that I like a new piece to the adventure I guess for me um in doing sport and in you know I've I would consider myself an advocate for years now for women in sport and for a lot of things but you know just to really take it one step further and put some wheels into motion to like do some other tangible good felt really good and i was really proud of i actually was in contact with them this week because like the gofundme money landed in their bank account and so they have a little over seven thousand dollars and they're just super pumped and um so it has felt good but you know having the nomination for the award also feels you know that makes it feel extra good i guess Congratulations again on that nomination. And if any of our listeners haven't heard your recap of that fastest known time on the 46 high peaks, the Adirondacks Adirondacks in upstate New York that you set this past summer, they should definitely go listen to that episode. I think it's called Fastest in the 46. It was a great, great episode and just kind of helped put into perspective how big that accomplishment was. And there was a lot of barriers to entry this year and you overcame those barriers and still had this amazing athletic performance. And like you said, raised more than $7,000 for the Payton Institute, a great cause. So I am super psyched to see your name on that list. I will be tuning in on November 15th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Mountain Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Oops, I left out Central. 6 p.m. Central Time. And um, for that awards to see if you won, you're nominated along with, I think there's four other women who were nominated. So, um, and that's just one of the like, I can't remember, nine categories. Were there more than nine? There were a lot of categories this year. And so um, it's going to be a fun night. Outspokensummit.com forward slash awards if anyone wants to join me in cheering on Alyssa. Yeah, so she just- wins head there and sign oh, up wait, so am that I you like get biased the... if I I can be biased I'm not on the selection <laughs> committee <laughs> I'll take all the all the support I can get for biased or not it doesn't matter um but Haley, I have I, to cheer I... for you you're my co-host you I'm like uh, the other four women are incredible and definitely I think you can go to the outspoken outspoken summit uh Instagram page to see all of the um finalists 
that are up for these awards. Haley, we have a big week ahead. You know, we record on Mondays, as you know, our very faithful listeners might know. So by the time this is airing, the uh, election here in the United States will be hopefully, hopefully wrapped up or in the process of wrapping up, hopefully by that Thursday. But before, you know, this big week ahead, last week we talked about a big week that you had with some mice visitors in your home. So I need the update on how is that going? Are they under control? Have you made peace? Like, do we have, are they in the extra bedroom now? Like what's going on? Like, are they, are we coexisting or not? Have they, I give them all names and like their own little bowl <laughs> or something. No, definitely. No, <laughs> they would be like, no, um, d- not invited. Um, I did have a mouse issue, um, previous weekend that was very, very cold and they kind of found a way in and, ruined my dreams but I uh, I think they're under control at the moment if anyone remembers that last week I had uh Virginia who is an MSU student who's about to graduate and she's on the MSU tri club and naturally how my my she's also teaching me about mice control (laughs) and pest control so she actually came back over today Alyssa and helped me clean up some of the mouse droppings that were like behind my dryer and in my garage and again lots of credit to the youth she had looked up on the CDC website like the best way to clean up mouse droppings because we are a little bit worried about hantaviruses which are even scarier than the coronavirus apparently and she brought respirators for us to use to like stay safe we had shoe covers we had gloves we used like a bleach solution and we like really really were safe because um like you know most athletes and people who are very concerned about their health, which I think is everyone in the entire world right now. Um, we, you know, we were, we wanted to stay healthy. And so we cleaned everything up. She helped me a lot. She helped me put sealant around my dryer vent, which is, I think we're coming in. I may still have an exterminator coming on Wednesday. People may think this is overkill, but you do not understand my phobia. I have a major phobia of mice and I'm, I'm working on it. I do feel like today, like just even being able to clean up was like a good step for me and I did get rid of two mouse bodies in my garage over the like last week because I needed to get them out on trash day and I like did it and I'm really really proud of myself so you know it's not athlete of the year but I will give myself a pat on the back for my accomplishments of the last week but Alyssa like I thought I had a hard week but everyone has had a hard week man it's life is rough right now well, Haley, after talking to you, um, I had two things happen. And one was that on my Facebook, I started getting ads for humane mousetraps, which I thought was funny because not no. only did like my phone or my computer listen to me and know that we were talking about mice, but then it knew that we were also like killing the mice. <laughs> yes. So I was like, maybe, maybe that's the only this. reason. Yeah. So that's the only reason people. Okay. But a humane mousetrap, that just means you go and you like. I, I like read this online because I did some Googling too, but like mice can find their way back to your house. Like they remember they're very smart and they will come back. Like, I think it's like they can come for like a long distance away and they will come back. They will find a way. They are tenacious creatures. They probably, you know, you would admire them if their ability to also like chew through your electrical wasn't also very, very uh, like impressive in a terrible way and like your water lines and like cause major destruction I'm like well I can't even find the words for for mice right now but I'm glad that your computer is listening to you yeah I know right that's like comforting the second thing that happened was that I got like an email from one of my neighbors in Baltimore so um 
I I own a home in Baltimore where I was living and then I, I now rent it because I'm living in Charlottesville for triathlon. So it's been rented since 2014 when I moved down here. And I have these like neighbors who are um, always very interested in things that are happening in the that little block of houses that it's in. And they are now having issues, not my house, I will say that, but the because I actually, since it is rental, I have people like coming and doing mice checks and stuff because that was a thing. But they're having rat issues, Haley. And so like for our listeners who might be in Baltimore or like familiar with Baltimore, you like rats are there and you see them all the time. And that's just like it's not as terrible as it really sounds, but it also is awful because it's like a really, really big mouse that's like scary. And it like has more of a personality and more of like, yeah. So I guess like that could be a silver lining. So at least in Bozeman so far, it's still just like the field, the country field mice situation and not the city rats because the city rats Haley you don't want to have to deal with when I talked to the exterminator on the phone she told me that we don't really have rats in Bozeman and I'm very thankful because when I was buying mouse traps I saw the rat traps they had the rat traps there <laughs> they're and like they're a giant box <laughs> they're huge and um they're definitely not humane but um but I uh yeah I, like oh gosh I'm I'm very sorry and she, the I like had a very long conversation with the exterminator on the phone and she was telling me about different times when she's lived with mice. And then she said that she once got her hand caught in a rat trap and she's like, it didn't break my finger. She's like, it just turned my nail very purple, but she's like, it wasn't very much fun. I'm like, bless you people like that do this. You know I mean? She had a great attitude about it because I was telling her I was like afraid of getting my fingers or like getting cowboys and I was stuck in like a snap trap. And so I kind of gotten the ones that are like, they're not, you know, it's like more covered and a little bit more, a little safer um, for me. And she's like, ah, I won't do anything to you. And I'm like, people have, I mean, I guess like, you know, some people have different skills. Some people are like not afraid of a 112 mile bike ride or running a marathon while other people are. I mean, we're probably in that camp and, you know, we derive fun from that kind of a pain, you know, pain from exertion, effort, long distances. And some people are like, ooh, rat trap, <laughs> maybe. No, maybe I don't think anyone likes that, right? Oh. No, but hopefully our our bad weeks are all just behind us. Everyone will be moving forward to to better times ahead. We'll we'll get to see shortly, I guess. But um, we haven't we well we didn't get any mailbag questions in this week, but we did get um just a mailbag kind of um you know shout out we like those when people just kind of give feedback on episodes and say what they like and things like that um and then we also did get some submissions for the officially unofficial contest that we were running um just by ourselves with seeing who could guess who the voices are in our new intro I know we had some good guesses I think Shelly got four out of the five that was, um, she definitely needs some cowboy and Ramona pictures. And I think it might, we might need to send her like an actual prize. That was our, our top, our top, our top guesser. She got four to five. So no one got perfect, but four to five. Um, I think Nancy got two out of five. We also had good guesses from Chris, Elisa and Dottie. So thank you to everyone who played. You gave me a lot of joy last week in a joy starved week. So I appreciate it. And, um, Shelly, we have some cowboy and Ramona pictures coming your way. Well, maybe we'll post some like for everyone and then special ones for Shelly in the mail for getting four out of five with this. Maybe like I still got to figure out what the other prize is. I mean, I think sounds like she'd be happy with cowboy and Ramona pictures, but four to five is impressive. It's, I think it's a harder contest than, um, 
than like maybe I initially thought, but this is a fun one. Maybe we got to change it up like every couple months and do another Ooh, contest. That's true. Then we'd test our like critical listening skills for the listeners. Why not? Right. So, right. I like this idea, but our, uh, thank you to the people who, who wrote in. And, um, also if you have any questions for us or if you want to keep guessing, you know, I mean, we might not have prizes, but we still like your guesses. Iron podcast at gmail.com is the official way to write in. And Haley, we are adding another voice to the potential list for future um, intros this week with our interview as well. Yeah, that's right. Everyone's everyone's a candidate for uh, for this this the ultimate contest. <laughs> um, this week we are talking to Chantel Whitney. Chantel is an Indigenous athlete and now retired professional triathlete. She first represented Canada in cross country running. She turned to triathlon around age 26 and she competed in many world cups on the draft legal itu circuit before reinventing herself yet again as an off-road triathlete ultimately finishing third at the itu cross world championships in 2014 so chantelle calls herself an accidental athlete and she tells us about finding elite sport in her late 20s and racing at her best in her 30s she offers a few tips for any athletes who are interested in off-road cycling or running and tells us about her work with the indigenous sport council of alberta we'll have our conversation with chantelle right after the break Alyssa, you will not believe who just bought an orca wetsuit Ooh, tell me my dad no way i didn't even realize your dad was a swimmer it's news to me too, but really nothing surprises me these days. I think he really liked the high visibility orange sleeves on the Orca open water core wetsuit. So with the Iron Woman 15 discount code, he ordered one from orca.com and spent less than $150. That's a great deal. If any of our listeners want to be like Healy's dad, check out the full line of wetsuits and gear for open water swimming, triathlon, and even swim run at orca.com and use that Iron Woman 15 code for 15% off. triathlon is certainly hard on your skin without a doubt that was Teresa Helsel dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete earlier this year Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing and luckily Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products including sun barrier SPF 45 zinc based sunscreen and betwixt athletic skin lubricant and chamois cream Use the code IRONWOMEN at TeamZelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. Hi, Chantel. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. You live in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And just before we got on and started recording, you were telling us what you were doing right before, right before this interview. Can you tell our audience what you were doing? Because it was fascinating. Yeah. Um, right before this, I was at one of the indigenous schools just outside of Edmonton and they're doing a cultural camp. So we were uh, flushing a moose hide. So we were scraping, for lack of better terms, the, um, the extra flesh off the the flesh part of the hide so um yeah so they're gonna be working on that all week and um they'll dry that particular hide out for the next um one or two weeks as the weather's a bit cold usually it just takes you know three or four days but they have another hide and they're gonna 
um, de-hair that hide with another tool and then that has to be dried and then pretty soon you can turn that into moccasins and drums and like all different kinds of things so yeah it was great it was fun but it was a bit chilly out there when yeah so. I can honestly say you're the first guest who's ever told us that that was what they were doing before coming on to the podcast. Yeah. So very cool um, yeah. to have that like different experience. I'm sure the kids appreciated you being there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a knowledge keeper, but uh, yeah, we definitely had some elders there and, and they were teaching me and I was asking lots of questions and the kindergartners and grade ones and everybody was coming in and they're really interested. So it's really cool for those kids to connect with their, their culture and, and their elders. So it was was a really fun day. And Chantel, we know you're retired from professional racing, but have you been able to enjoy any Canadian outdoor athletic adventures this summer and fall, maybe other than the moose? Oh my God. Um, Like, you know, when COVID hit, it was like, I'm still doing a bit of racing. I've been doing lots of cyclocross racing and I'm doing some road racing, um, like cycling road racing. And um, just slowly getting back into that. But when COVID hit, I was, like oh my god what are we gonna do but i've actually found it to be a really good really good summer we went on like we rode the high rockies which is a 60 kilometer mountain bike trail from kananaskis to canmore it took about six hours i went on some really cool gravel rides um yeah i've been it was really fun it was a fun fun summer just doing some random stuff like there's no plan where do we want to go like what can we do so i had a great time Chantel, I've heard you describe yourself as an accidental athlete. So what does that mean? And how does one become an athlete by accident? Um, well, I was never like the kid who was like that wing races. I was never the kid who's like that person's going to be a superstar. I played all the sports and yeah, it was pretty good, but I was never the top in any really sort of events, running events that I, I went to. And I just kind of stuck, stuck with it and just, I suddenly like in fact one race I found myself at the front of this race and everybody's like what what the heck how is she at the front and then I actually finished third at the cross-country national running championships that just totally out of the blue and surprised myself and surprised everybody and um from there I just kept running and I went to the world championships but I got injured tried triathlon won my triathlon won my first triathlon and then kind of kept going from there so yeah, kind of just random. Never was a superstar. Never was the athlete picked out to be number one. Um, just kind of kept. Just I just love this sport. I just love being an athlete. I just love playing sports, and and I think that passion just kind of led me down this road. Maybe it was my calling. I don't know. <laughs> and so you you did you found um, ITU Elite Draft Legal Racing in 2006 when you were 26 years old and 26. 26- yeah seems like so young to all of us probably now, but it's actually quite a bit on the older side to start an elite Olympic distance triathlon career. So did you ever wish that you had an earlier start in the sport? Like you, you kind of said you have been playing sports all your life, but did you kind of wish like, Hey, I wish I had specialized or like known to specialize in this any earlier. No, I believe like that was my path and I, I definitely wouldn't have wouldn't have changed anything like if I were to change anything I would would have just got more support and maybe just done a bit longer but I feel like a lot of the junior athletes just they're they're when you start to really just burn out too earlier so I feel like I really had a lot of resilience and um which ended up me going to my 30s competing at a high level 
Um, so no, I don't really, although no, I shouldn't say that. I wish I would have learned to swim a lot earlier than 26 because that was a really hard thing to do, <laughs> but I can safely say I'm a pretty good swimmer now, but yeah, I wish I would have started swimming. That would have made my career path a bit better. But if you just do all the sports and your, you know, physical literacy is a big, a big uh, topic right now. And I really believe if you play all the sports and you build your strength and you build your endurance as a total athlete when you do specialize, you're going to be that much better for it, for sure. So. And when you joined the IT ranks at age 26, was your initial goal to make the Canadian Olympic team? No, it wasn't. Um, I Same thing. I just did my first triathlon because I was injured from running, and I won, and, and I just – you know, I was just winning all the races. So I just thought I'd try like Continental Cup and I did pretty good in that. And then um, my first World Cup, I think was in 2010 and I finished 10th. So it wasn't until then that I thought maybe I will give this uh, Olympic qualifying a go. So when the, the first qualifying races, which is the one I did um, the two years prior to the Olympics, and that was when I decided like, I'll just give this a go. It's a great opportunity. I can't really pass it up. I don't want to look back and say, I wish I would have tried. So and you alluded to earlier kind of thinking maybe you could have found some more support and continue to do the sport for longer. And we've listened to other interviews you've done and you said that you never received any scholarship money or federation funding during your athletic career. So did you feel like that was a, you know, financial disadvantage kind of compared to your competitors and that really had a kind of a, a role in like your path forward through the sport? Not like not definitely not on a, a financial perspective. I'm, you know, I class myself as pretty privileged and, and I can, could like, I could afford that, but it was just more like support and coaching. And, you know, when you go to these big races in Australia and you're by yourself and you can't hang out with the national team and, you know, they don't really let you and there's no support and there's no coaching and there's no, like around Edmonton, there's no place to open water swim. Like it's, it's winter six months of the year and, and you know, and then the summer, the lakes are so far away. So I never really got good at open water swimming. I was a pretty good swimmer like pool swimmer so I think if I would have had that kind of support that way then like I'm pretty sure I would have done pretty well in in triathlon like I got I got to where I did on my own steam not one I don't even have a triathlon Canada shirt they never even gave me a shirt I was just you know in a stressful standing on the line thinking I got to prove myself you know so you have that much more stress when you're trying to prove yourself but then you if you don't do well then they're like well see she didn't do well that's why we don't support her so you're kind of like in this situation where you really want to do good but you're you're not focused on the right things you're not focused on commuting and doing a good race you're focusing on trying to prove yourself which is a really bad place to be on the start line honestly and you mentioned never getting a triathlon Canada shirt even no. at what point did you decide to step away from that Olympic goal? Because you, d- you didn't make the 2012 Olympic team. And instead, I believe you kind of started to veer into the off-road triathlon world. Was that, was that part of it? Yeah. You know what? I just, once I did, once I finished 10th in that first triathlon, I just thought go all in. I did all the world cups. But it's a grueling schedule. Like you are going from South America, you're going to Australia, you're going to Europe, you're going, you're back in Canada. Like it's two years. Yeah, minus the financial thing, I guess, like when you are flying. But it's just, it's grueling. And I didn't really want to be with my family. And when you are flying around by yourself to all these events, organizing all of your transportation, finding the race, you know, doing the race 
preview by yourself. Like it really, I met a lot of good friends from other teams. So that was really what was cool about it. Um, but it was a great experience, but yeah, it was, it's just so difficult. So yeah. And how did the off-road triathlon world differ from that? Oh, it's just so, yeah. You know, I mean, there's no Canada team, like, but yeah, everybody is so friendly and, and it's just, it's just so much more camaraderie. Like right away, all the Canadian girls were like, Hey, Oh yeah. Like, what happened? Like, we'll ride the course with you. They were so friendly. And, and yeah, if, if I were, I haven't done a triathlon since 2014, but I do miss the off-road, the off-road world. It was, it's fun. It's really fun. And it, and it takes you to these crazy places and you're doing these crazy courses that you're riding on stuff you never thought you could have rode and you're, it, yeah, it's fun. But I imagine you had a little bit more control over the travel and your overall schedule than in off-road compared to the ITU world. Yeah, yeah. Like, in, like it was just optional. So I'm just planning going to Europe. Where do I want to go? Like, I'll go to Italy. You know, there's a race in Italy and then there's one, I don't know, like in France the next weekend. So I was like, where do I want to go? I'll just make my schedule about what sightseeing I want to do. <laughs> So, yeah, and, and then, yeah, it takes you to some cool places because you have to have kind of mountains to mountain bike, right? And you have to have a lake. And so, yeah, you, I went, yeah, there's some really cool places that I visited. <laughs> Chantel, in 2013, you finished third at the ITU Cross Triathlon World Championship and sixth at the Xterra World Championship. So what's the difference between ITU Cross Triathlon and Xterra Triathlon? Uh, just like a brand thing. Yeah. Okay. And like Iron Man and I don't know what is the fifth seventy point three series is that yeah mm-hmm. it's just a brand thing yeah they're they're basically the same. Okay, I was picturing like yeah, like cross and I heard cross and I was like oh maybe there's like some sort of a <laughs> mixture well, with that in there but I guess not. Yeah, it's all still mountain biking and yeah yeah I didn't even start learning like I didn't even I finished my last road trip I remember in two thousand and twelve in Kelowna. And then, like, the weekend after, I bored a mountain bike and did a mountain bike race and, like, was crashing. And <laughs> the weekend after that, I did X-Dare Cam, where I don't even know why they let me in. But I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a this elite triathlete. And they're like, okay. And I was way over my head. I remember trying to line myself up. We went down this. It's called a laundry suit. And I can ride it now. But I was like, nobody can ride this. There's just no way people can ride this. So here I am, like, off my bike, like, figuring out how I'm going to run down it. And I'm going to be really fast and, like. I remember Melanie McQuaid and Katie Budden just blow past me, like, on their bikes, like, didn't even stop. And I was like, I'm going to get killed in this race. But I did, I was just so, so bad from all the Olympic qualifying that I only ended up eight minutes behind on the bike. But, which eight minutes was a So, yeah, so you're 32 years old and you make this switch to pretty technical racing mountain biking you had no experience on the mountain bike how did you get so good so quick i same thing with everything i just like i don't know if i'm a bit of ocd or i just fully throw myself into something and i just don't really look back i just and it's fun it's super fun like you're you know and you're on different trails and it's so different than road riding like you're just kind of in a straight line and you just point your bike but now you're you're really like it's mentally it's challenging because you have to you know navigate down these features and I found that really enjoyable like it's a lot of thought goes into it and and it's hard like you're climbing like some steep climbs and routes and 
yeah no it was it, <laughs> it was a bit of a learning curve though I did uh, you know I, I crashed a lot like the first ride I did with the group here I remember going down this hill and I crashed and I got back up and I was like kind of my butt hurt a little bit and then Anyway, you get home and nobody said anything. I get home and my daughter was like, why is there a huge hole in your shorts? I was like, oh my God, <laughs> nobody told me. My first mountain bike ride is this group. I think they just felt bad for me. And I was just all bruised and yeah, bleeding and this huge hole in the butt of my shorts. It's so embarrassing. But yeah. You just... Were you ever afraid when you're, you know, when you are crashing and, and were you ever afraid to like get back on the bike or was it always just like get right back up? Yeah, I'm always scared. Like, um, yeah, I, like it, things are scary. You're riding down stuff you never think you can ride down. Like I said in Canmar, I'm like, no way can ride this. But that's what I found. Like, you're if you get kind of addicted to it, like this is scary, and then you did it, and you're like, oh, this is great, I did it. Um, but I did break my nose in 2014, and then I it took me a long time to um, kind of come back mentally from that. It was a bit of a yeah. It was a bit of a traumatic experience. It seems like, you know, embracing kind of the gravel riding or mountain biking, just getting off the roads, um, especially like during the pandemic, I think as people have a little bit more free time or maybe feel like maybe there's more leeway to like try a little bit different type of riding while there's not so much racing to partake in. So a lot of people are doing this to change up their training a little bit. And But do you have any tips for a road triathlete who wants to take things kind of off-road? Yeah, I just say, like, just, you know, I mean, just, you don't need a, a really expensive mountain bike to start. Just get a mountain bike and get out there. And another thing is, I'd say, join a, a local group. They, most of them have beginner groups, and they have somebody at the front and a sweep, and somebody will always be there to help you, because, yeah, it is scary, and you can get lost out there on these little single-track mountain bike trails. Um, but, yeah, just, yeah, you kind of just have to lose the, the scaredness, but um and for gravel riding like I found like it's just this is my first year actually gravel riding and uh it takes you to some cool places like you're on these gravel roads and here I mean it's flat as a pancake pretty much but you're like riding by these canola fields and old barns and and uh and it's actually a lot safer than riding on the road because you're on gravel and people the cars aren't going by you as fast and I find that the cars that did go by you are like really nice farmers they pull really wide and give you a wave and you know, got their dog out the window or the dog in the back and you know so yeah it's it's getting off the beaten path and I've seen some pretty cool views today there's even this one um abandoned road out in Gorge Creek it's called and and yeah there's still road signs and stuff so we took our cross bikes out there and did this gravel uh, abandoned road loop and yeah there's bears out there and yeah it's it's definitely places that you wouldn't be able to reach access even on even on like even running like you can run out there but you can go a lot faster with your bike so you can get to some foreign places you wouldn't be able to on your road bike or running are there any specific drills or workouts that you might suggest an athlete do to get the technical bike skills needed for off-road racing you know what like i there's not really like you can go to the bike park and play at the bike park but um just get out and ride every day um or as much as you can and um for me when I was you know really scared of a whole bunch of things and I'm still scared but I just made a goal that every ride I went on I was gonna ride something I didn't ride the, the ride before so whether it was like a steep you know section with a whole bunch of roots or a little bridge or 
um, you know, maybe a huge step down, you know, like I wouldn't maybe like ride it on the first time, but if you've ridden past it five times, one time, just go for it. And, and I, I just thought I'm going to try something new every time I ride my bike. So, and then you ride it and you're like, Oh, that was so easy. <laughs> uh, another tip to actually give is that speed is your friend. And it took me a long time to figure this out. Speed is your friend. The faster you can go over this stuff, the easier it is. So if you can get off your brakes a bit, um, I know it's scary, but yeah, it'll, it'll flat, everything will flatten out. So. And I'm curious about your specific training because you mentioned, I, I, I forgive me for not knowing the topography of Edmonton, but you mentioned it being flat and were you, did you have to like do anything special when you were training for riding up a mountain in France? Um, and you didn't, didn't necessarily have that terrain at home. Um, yeah, so it's pretty flat around here, but in Edmonton, and you know, it's my fair place in the world because uh, we have a river that goes through it, and it's actually totally undeveloped. So we have hundreds of kilometers of mountain bike trails that go all along the river. So yeah, we don't have like these long, steady, forty-five minute climbs, but we have fairly technical mountain bike trails. Like you know, it's mostly rooty around here, but it's you know, you can develop your power and your sharp turns and steep downhills and so um, I know people think it's so flat around here, but when you're actually by the river, it's quite, it's quite hilly and it's quite good. So it was, I found no problem trying to develop my skills. And it's just the long sustained climbs that, that Xterra France has, you know, you climb up for an hour and then you descend and then you climb for another hour and then you descend <laughs> all the hard course. You finished your professional racing career in 2014, which was the year that you won the Xterra Mountain Bike Championship in Beaver Creek, and you finished fourth at the ITU Cross World Championship. So you were racing really well that year. Was that a decision you made, you know, consciously that you wanted to go out on top after such a banner year? Well, I actually didn't want to go out, but <laughs> I, uh, I, after I broke my nose, I ran into a lot of health issues, and on hindsight, I probably also had a head injury and. Um, I developed something called exertional migraine. So anytime I would do a workout, I got a really bad migraine after, um, I got really bad anxiety. It just, I, I couldn't train anymore, honestly. So I didn't really, I didn't really go. I didn't want to go out, but I was kind of forced to go out and it took me a, a few years to reconcile that. Cause as an athlete, as you grow up and you're an athlete for decades or a decade, you know, that's your identity. So when, when it's just taken away from you like that, it's really, it, it was, it was really difficult for me. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I didn't, but now that I'm, you know, kind of on the other side, it's, I just, yeah, I don't necessarily miss it as much, but you know, so, so I was lucky to go on a good year, but um, yeah, it would have been, it's just hard when somebody's taken away from you like that. When I wasn't in control, I didn't make that decision. So I found that the hardest thing. If I could have like decided I wanted to go out, I would have been totally okay with it. But since I didn't, it took me a number of years to to come back from that, to find my own identity and my new identity and 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 be confident that, you know, I don't have to be a superstar athlete anymore. I can be a mom and I can, you know, go to school and I can, you know, have a different passion and that's okay. Did you have any help working through that transition? People just don't understand, you know, like, you know, and, 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 and you know, and, and like anxiety, which came along with that is, is a personal journey. And yeah, it's something that I've had to work on personally um, throughout the years. And 
having a sudden change in your life like that just kind of exacerbated things. But no, I just, just with sport, right? I just, I knew I had to work on it and I knew I had to commit to, to getting better and, you know, having, changing my identity and, and building my confidence again. And um, so, no, I didn't really have any help with it, but, you know, I, I guess I helped myself. And I think part of that was earning a master's degree studying Indigenous resilience through storytelling. So why did you choose that as your course of study? Uh, because um, a lot, I was lucky, a lot of, so I'm Champagne, I'm from the Champagne Asia First Nation in the Yukon, um, Southern Toshone. So um, my elders are Southern Toshone or Clinkett, which is uh, kind of Northern BC, um, Southern Alaska area. They did a lot of trading back and forth. Um, and a lot of my elders had their traditional stories recorded by ethnographers so you know I really I really uh, lucked out my great-great-grandma Lily Hume um, there's like books of her stories so um, I was really interested in that and um, just going through what I went through kind of resilience was on my mind and um, yeah just the more I started reading the stories and and uh, yeah it just kind of came to a head both (laughs) Is there anything from your research in Indigenous resilience through storytelling that you were kind of able to relate to sport in that time? Yeah, like um, um, stories, like a lot of story, a lot of these traditional stories um, address adversity and overcoming adversity. And um, there's like one particular story I can think of about this um, this man-eating owl story that my great grandma told, um, and this owl. So. Um, Back back then, um, glaciers were often seen as um, as uh, big sort of mythological creatures, and and uh, my family's from the Takashini, um watershed. So a lot of times, the glaciers would surge and cross over the rivers, and then which in turn makes rivers fill up, and people and then when it bursts, the the um, water comes out and uh, kills everybody. But um, so the story is about resilience and overcoming those um, sort of things. And um, so what when I think about it, I think oh, as an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? And what can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Uh, my story, like I broke my nose and I had anxiety and I couldn't work out. And, and um, being four years removed from that or whatever. When I think back on it now, what I learned is, is that not necessarily what you can't do, it's what, what can you do? Like, even though I couldn't work out, or I couldn't do what I wanted to do, there was opportunities to do other things, which I didn't do. But so that's my lesson and that's my story and everybody has a story. So I think it really hit home, like stories are not just, you know, stories for reading, but stories for learning too. And I think your story is far from over, but you also now work with the Indigenous Sport Council of Alberta. What is the goal of this program? Um, it's just to give opportunities to Indigenous youth um, to have my goal, um, which is the goal is to just help Indigenous youth have the opportunities that I do and to be able to shine their light in, in sport and in whatever they want to do. Um, I can backtrack a bit. So in um, 2006, I think it was, I made my first national team. And I finished like 16th in national championships. This is for running. So I finished like 16th. No way I was going to make the national team. But back then they would roll down. So everybody said no. And they got to me and they're like, you want to go to the Pan American championships? So I thought, oh my, yeah, totally. I'd love to go. So then just with that opportunity, suddenly it's just sparked my light. Like, you know, then I I had goals and I was going to work really hard. And 
now that race actually finished ninth. Um, so I just, I know for a fact that if that didn't happen, then I wouldn't have went on the career path I did from that one opportunity. You know, they said, because I, I believed I could go and had that opportunity and it kind of made me crave for more. So I just think like having that one opportunity changed my life. So if I, we can give Indigenous kids these kind of opportunities, it, it can change their lives too. And, you know, we all know that, you know, a lot of Indigenous people are um, face a lot of adversity and um, the residential school fallout and, you know, so um, so create opportunities for you so they can shine their light like I was able to. And we heard in another interview that part of your work with the Indigenous Sport Council was asking Indigenous communities what they need. And so this sounds like a really simple question, but it probably doesn't happen as often as it should and maybe is one that we all should think about asking a little more when we're in positions to be, you know, working with other parts of the communities and things like that. So what was the kind of response that you received in this instance? You know, as white people, you don't necessarily understand what the community needs and what one community needs isn't what another community needs. You know, and if you're giving them control of the situation, even though you can still bring the program in, but if you're giving them control, then you're you're meeting um, their cultural needs, um, their spiritual needs, um, and then you're just kind of um, change, like changing, giving the power more back to, to them. So instead of, um, you know, white Eurocentric value system um, kind of taking over. And Chantel, it seems like a theme of your life is opportunity. So both embracing the opportunities that came your way and still come your way and creating opportunities for others. So do you agree with that statement? Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, I just I really know that if I didn't have that one opportunity, I wouldn't have traveled the world and I wouldn't have um, made the friends I made. I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't have these great, great memories. And um, yeah, so it's definitely my passion now to to help other people experience what I experienced. Chantel, thanks so much for sharing your story with us today. I think, like Haley said, your story is far from over. over. And we are excited to get to be a piece of that storytelling for our listeners here today. So thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. You've heard Alyssa and I talk about how Form Smart Swim Goggles are revolutionizing swimming for well over a year now. With the holidays approaching, we can safely say that these are the ideal gift for any triathlete or swimmer in your life. If you or someone you know is looking to be more engaged during swim sessions and wants to take their swimming to new levels, check out Form Goggles at formswim.com or head over to their Instagram at formswim, one word, where they will be running seasonal giveaways, sharing holiday offers alongside all their great swim content. Okay, Alyssa, it's quiz time. Please tell me which noon hydration product I should be drinking during the following scenarios. First up, a two-hour hard bike workout. Ooh, I'd go with noon endurance because you need some carbs for that. All right, second question, an easy shakeout swim. Probably some noon sport, keep it light. What about working from home? Noon sport yet again. Final question, a three-day, 16-hour, fastest known time attempt on the 46 high peaks of the Adirondacks. i definitely say noon instant for sure. All the electrolytes, please. Ding, ding, ding. You got them all right, Alyssa. And I think it's obvious there's a noon hydration product for every time in life. 
Iron Women podcast listeners can try them all and get 30% off using the code livefeisty at noonlife.com. Again, that's livefeisty, all one word with a capital L and a capital F. Use that code for 30% off any purchase at noonlife.com. Haley, do you know what I'm doing when I'm feeling kind of down? What do you do, Alyssa? I go to gooder.com forward slash feisty, the live feisty curated collection on the Gooder sunglasses website. And I read the fun names of all the sunglasses. Ooh, do you have a current favorite? I think today I'm going with Kitty Hawker's Ray Blockers. Oh, nice pick from the new Mach G line. Going for a run in a pair of teal aviators would make me so happy right now. Happiness really might be a pair of no slip, no bounce, polarized sunglasses in fun colors with a fun name. Happiness is also sunglasses that start at just $25 a pair. So all of our listeners should go to gooder.com forward slash feisty to see our favorites and find their own. That's G-O-O-D-R.com forward slash F-E-I-S-T-Y. Be sure to check out the virtual try-on feature while you're there. And of course, look good, run gooder. After our interview, Chantel was super kind to send over a few photos of her working on that moose hide that she talked about in the beginning of our interview. So if anyone wants to see those photos, they're pretty fascinating. Check out our social media, Iron Women Podcast on Instagram, and uh, we'll make sure that we post some of those because they're they're crazy to look at and really, really cool. And again, very unique. Yes. And Haley, I have to say that between talking to Chantel and then spoiler alert for our listeners, well, maybe this is like a, not a spoiler. This is like a bonus alert for our listeners. You're finding out that who we're interviewing next week, we talked to Mel McQuaid. Um, both of these women have such great off-road triathlon experience. And I also, a spoiler alert, recently got a mountain bike. So I will be talking more about my entry into the off-road lifestyle on two wheels. I'm obviously off-road a lot on my feet, but we'll be taking it on two wheels. And I'm excited. Like, they just have me pumped up a lot to, like, be doing crazy things. So um, it'll probably be a while before I'm actually doing anything too crazy on any trails or anything on the bike. But I'm I'm just excited. Like, I need to start looking up Xterra races and stuff. All the tips, all the inspiration, all the spoilers today, Alyssa. And, um, you know, hopefully we we do get you see you out on the off-road. I would love to see you off-road, off-road mountain biking. I mean, we got lots of tips from uh, from both Chantel and upcoming from Mel. So all the strong Canadian women going off-road this these last couple of weeks. Not, not on purpose, but just coincidence. Impressive, though. All right, Haley. And I also the other day scrolled through and saw that we are getting some more recent reviews on the uh, I checked the Apple podcast app, I guess it is for the podcast. And thank you to everyone who is reviewing us. That does help a lot. So if you have time today or this week, please send um, in a rating or review for the podcast on whatever app you choose to listen to. It does really help and we appreciate it. And OutspokenSummit.com forward slash awards if you want to watch Alyssa Vi for that Athlete of the Year Award along with many other women who've been deservedly nominated. It's going to be a fun time. The awards, actual awards show happens November 15th. That's a Sunday, 4 p.m. Pacific. And I hope to see you virtually there. It'll be good. All right, Haley. Have a great week, Alyssa. (laughs) Talk to you later, Haley. Bye.
You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Zilio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Orca Sportswear, Gooder Sunglasses, as well as our Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find all website links and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com. Thank you.